Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Well, I am honored to be here today. And uh, me and Pastor Joel and Pastor Jen, uh, we've known each other now for, I mean, really since 2014 is what I would say. And so my pastor, Pastor Marcus Meekham, who is on the oversight board for Oaks Church, uh, I was his number two guy for many, many years, 15 years. We built a church called Seven Hills Church up in Cincinnati until God called us down to Texas of all places. And uh, we were actually going to plant a church in Prosper. And I was on the phone uh, giving my account information. Uh, we were going to live in Mustang Lakes. Anybody know where that is? That's where we're going to be. And I was, I was on the phone. I got a phone call from a good friend of mine, Pastor Bill Cornelius in Corpus Christi. And he said, hey, there's a herding church in League City, Texas, right outside of Houston. And I think it would be perfect for you. And so God snatched us out of Dallas and planted us uh, down in H-Town. And so uh, so we're so honored to be here. And I just have to say, man, do you love your pastors or what? Pastor Joel, Pastor Jen. Just a great culture, great spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit is present in this house. And so thank you. So honored really to be here. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. And verse 13, I'm going to get there in just a moment. And so my beautiful wife, uh, normally she has to be at all the services. And so she's coming to the 11 o'clock today because that's how she rolls. And uh, three beautiful kids. I think you have a couple of pictures to send them to you. Uh, but uh, there, there we go. There's uh, Kate and I'm holding little Georgia, uh, who's our littlest. And then our oldest is Miles and Judah, and they look sweet, but there was a lot of threats behind that photo. Believe me, don't say anything. Um, but, uh, and so love them. And, um, uh, and so I'm so excited to be here. And uh, let's take a look at it together. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13, we're looking at Jesus. He resurrected. Not a lot of people know about it. It's right after um, Easter, of course, he's been brutally murdered publicly. We would know that he rose again, defeated death, hell, and the grave three days later. But we're catching up with two men that are walking on this road called Emmaus. And so let's take a look. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Watch this. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Let's skip to verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, this is Jesus, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it. I'm going to read that again. He took the bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it. If you have your Bible, maybe just underline that, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. 
And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Today, I want to talk to you for a few moments on the subject of a road, a table, and a purpose. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is so good. We thank you that your word is alive. Your, your word is literally your breath. And so, Holy Spirit, I know that there are so many people in this room today. There are so many people watching online. There's all kinds of things happening, all kinds of things going on. But Holy Spirit, I know that you can take the words coming out of my mouth. You can divide it up and deliver exactly what this service needs. And so, Lord, I'm just a vessel. Use me and you preach this sermon. You preach it better than I could anyway. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said a big amen. So we take a look at this story. And what I want you to notice is this whole story that began with the road ended up at a table. So if we consider just a couple of things going on in these guys' lives, they would have just gone to the most crazy convention of all time. Young Jewish men, they got their Passover t-shirts they're excited. They're pumped. They've heard about this Jesus. They would have been there when they had the wave the palm branches. Hosanna. They would have been screaming. They would have seen the whole thing. They would have been Jesus fanatics, probably just trying to see what was going to happen. They would have seen him then uh, be arrested. They would have seen him be uh, hit with the cat of nine tails. They would have seen him be up on that cross and they would have seen him maybe from afar say, it is finished. And so when we look at these men and they're on this road, these are men that are on a road of disappointment. They showed up. They thought that the encounter with Jesus was going to be one way, and it ended up being a completely different way. And so when they're on this road, they're not excited anymore. They're, they're kind of, their spirit is down. They're downcast. And it's interesting to me that Jesus shows up to these men on a disappointing road. See, if I was Jesus and I rose again from the dead, I would totally throw a party for myself. Amen. I'd be like, look at me. I rose up from the dead. I defeated death, hell, and the grave. Y'all want to see the keys to death, hell, and the grave? I've got them right here. That's what I would do. I know you're holy and you wouldn't do that. But he comes... And the first thing he does, the first thing he decides to do as a resurrected savior is he meets two men on a disappointing road. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says they're walking down this road and it uses the word sad, sad. This road, this seven mile road that represents to me a road that all of us find ourselves on at some point a road of disappointment, a road of, oh man, I, I said yes to Jesus at Oaks Church. I'm excited. I'm so pumped. It's, it's going to be whipped cream slides and sunshine the rest of my life. But what, I thought that things were going to be better. I thought that things were going to be unbelievable. I thought the miracles were going to start bursting out the moment I followed Jesus. But here they are, disappointed. 
And some of you, I don't know what brought you into God's house today, but some of you have walked down or are walking down your own disappointing road. And I thought it was going to be like this, and it's not. Some of you are on the road of divorce or have gone through the road of divorce. Some of you, you are walking on that road of loss. Of course, going through the pandemic, many of us lost people along the way. Others of you, you're on the road of addiction. And all across this city and this region, people find themselves on unfortunate roads. And Jesus comes to these men, these disappointed people, and he hears their conversation. And Jesus starts to talk with them about the prophets. He starts to talk with them about scripture. And I think it's so funny that a lot of times we try to reach our friends. We try to tell people about Jesus. And we're trying to show them our big Bibles and show them all these scriptures. And isn't it funny? Jesus is talking to them about the prophets, trying to show them, hey, look, see what the prophet said? And the Bible says that they didn't see him, which shows me that you can be super spiritual. You can post as many scriptures as you want, but sometimes that's not always going to be the most effective way of evangelizing to our friends and family. Sometimes you can't just beat somebody over the head with a big 20-pound Bible and just say, this, these are the scriptures. You better follow it like this. Their eyes weren't open. They were restrained. And so they didn't recognize who Jesus was by his voice. They did not recognize who Jesus was by his presence. They did not recognize Jesus by any of those things. They recognized him when they sat down at the table and he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And the Bible says that their eyes were opened. And this is the genius of Jesus. He had them sit down at a table. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it, and their eyes were opened. So I want you to see this. When Jesus described what his house is like, when he described what the kingdom is like, he said it's like a master that sets an unbelievable meal, and this is an incredible meal. If you want some at the end, we'll give it to you. But the master sets the table, and he sends out all these invitations. He says, this, this, is what, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, I sent out all these invitations. I've got everything popping. I've got Alfredo over here. I've got these unbelievable meatballs over here. I've got the caviar set. It's all good. He sends out the invitations. And he says that people deny the invitations because they're too busy. Uh, I can't, I gotta, I gotta bury my dad. I can't, I, I can't do that church stuff now. I can't really make it to service. I can't really do this because I'm on my road. I'm on my road. And because I'm on my road, I can't make it to this beautiful, beautiful banquet where it's gonna be this meal that fulfills me, that's decadent, that's just unbelievable. I can't make it. And so the master says, listen, because people are denying my invitation. He tells the servants, I want you to go and I want you to go to the highways and byways and I want you to compel them to come. Whatever road they're on, I want you to find them on that road. I want you to bring them back, sit them at the table. At the table. And this is what Jesus is doing in this city. 
This is what Jesus is doing in McKinney. This is what Jesus is doing in Dallas. This is what Jesus is doing in here. It's our job to understand that we need to meet people on their road and compel them to come to the table. You say, well, this is, a, this is just, a, this is just a, a service. This is, just, this is just a service. No, it's a table. It's a table. You're sitting at God's table. And whether you know it or not, the Holy Spirit knew that you had to be here this morning because it's when you sit down at his table that your eyes are open. Most people think, well, I don't need to go to church to experience Jesus. I can just be out in the beach and swirling around in the waves and it's Jesus is here. I don't need church. The problem with that is Jesus needed church. What, right? When he was 12 years old, his parents, where's Jesus? I don't know where Jesus is at. Remember, where was he? He was in the temple and he said, <laughs> talks to his mom like this, woman, I must be about my father's business. In other words, there's something about the house of God. There's something about us coming together. There's something about being in his house. There's something about bringing people to the table. I put it like this, you know, you can experience a lot of Jesus. I appreciate online and that's great, but you can't feel the warmth of a campfire through a screen. There's something intangible about coming together. There's something about coming together. And I love how Pastor Joel came up and everyone in this room is praying for those precious families in Uvalde, Texas. I mean, there's something about it. And Jesus said, bring them to my table. We don't come to his house because we're in our feels about it. We come to his house because it's an act of sacrifice to him. We say, because it was important to you, it's important to me. So I'm going to come into your house and I'm going to bring people to your table. Why? Because you asked me to do it. I don't really feel like singing. I'm not, you are my champion. I don't really feel it. It's not about feeling it. It's about understanding that Ah, you know, I'm not feeling it. And God knows you're not feeling it. And, you're, and, you, and you sing out anyway. Because this is a table. And Jesus has prepared a meal. So many people, they're on these roads of disappointment. And Jesus is trying to reveal himself. And he knows that he can't just have the person shouting at you with the megaphone. You're going to hell. For you to say, oh, well, yeah, thanks. No, he knows that you have to come in here, be in his house, be in the presence of the Holy Spirit, sit at the table, because that's when their eyes were opened. God reveals himself at tables. And so immediately, those guys understand that Jesus was with them every step of the way. When he sat them down at the table, he blessed the meal, he broke the bread, and he gave it. And what I want to preach in this last 21 minutes is that just as he's done with these men, Jesus is always taking the bread, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it. And just as he's done with them, so he does with your life. Jesus has come here at this table to bless you, break you, and give you. He comes to bless, break, and give.
It's what he does with us. I think about all the different times that Jesus came to bless, break, and give. We all remember the story of feeding the 5,000. Remember this story? Everyone's hungry. You have 5,000 men. This doesn't include the women and children. Amen. And Jesus, everyone's hungry. And notice when Jesus blesses things, when Jesus blesses you, notice he takes, when he feeds the 5,000, a little kid's lunchbox. Isn't that funny? Think about there's all these men around, and that's what most people think how God's going to move. Man, the men need to stand up and do something. And we do. That's great. You know, well, this, this person over here, they're important. They own this business. They're an important person. But I love that Jesus, the son of God, notices the unnoticeable little kid in the corner with his little lunchbox, which shows us that the next generation is something that many of us overlook. We overlook that all the disciples were teenagers. We overlook that, uh, you know, what can this kid over here do? But right now over uh, in Oaks Kids, there is some little boy over there that's the next Billy Graham. There is some little girl over there that God has called to great things. And if we don't understand that, then we miss a big point of how God uses people. And, and so there's this little boy and he says, hey, Give me what you have. And Jesus takes this little kid's lunchbox and he blesses it. Think about this. If you're in the, in, in the I know you're holy. I know, I know you're super spiritual. I know you were up at 5 a.m. praying, okay? But just help me with this. He's there. He's holding up this not enough, right? And I'm, I'm sitting around looking at 25,000 people like, I don't understand why he's blessing not enough. Amen? I, I'd be like questioning like, I don't know how this is gonna work. I don't, I don't understand this. And some of you are in here and you say, well, how can God bless me? I'm, I'm, I'm a mess up. How can God bless me? I've done all of these things. How can God bless me? How, 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 I'm not enough. But notice that Jesus blesses the not enough in your life, which shows me that multiplication happens in our life when we bless what's not enough. In other words, there are areas in your life that you should be thankful that you're complaining about. I, I put it like this. If you're complaining about it more than you're praying about it, you're thinking about it wrong. And so all of us in our life, we have areas of our life that we're not blessing. And God is blessing us. Your very breath in your lungs is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's the grace of God that you can breathe in air, that he gives you that next breath, that he gives you that next heartbeat. He doesn't have to, but out of his great goodness and grace, he does. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful when, when I look at the tragedy that happened, I, I literally, on the same day that those precious babies were taken in Texas, my, many of the kids, they got awards that day. And our kids down uh, in Houston, they had gotten their awards that day. And in my mind, I just had to say, praying for those families, God, thank you for giving me another day with these kids, even though they drive me absolutely insane. Amen. But there are things, see, the, the, the spouse that you're with, think about how fervently you prayed for them and now you've got them. Huh. It's quiet in this Baptist church here. But... Right? You pray, oh God, give me a spouse. And now you're just looking over at them while they're snoring, like, God, <sighs> Jesus, help me. 
But there was a day when you prayed, God, bring me a man, bring me a please. You did. You just stopped being thankful. So he blesses what's not enough. Well, you know, I just started this business and this is not really, this is not really. No, thank you that I have this opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. See, contentment and multiplication in your life starts with blessing what's not enough. Until you can be thankful, you'll never see multiplication. That's when the miracle starts. And the Bible says he took it, he blessed it, and nothing increased. Then he took the bread, he broke it, and then he started handing it. He broke it. Notice that the blessing was in the breaking. That which refuses to be broken will not receive the blessing. Listen to me. God allows you to go through breaking. It's not to destroy you. It's to bless you. Sometimes you only get strength from struggle. Sometimes breaking is necessary. Most times, breaking is necessary. I put it this way. It's in the crushing of the olive that the oil flows. And so you're like, God, oh, well, I'm following you. Why are you crushing me? Think about this. In heaven, right now, chilling and thrilling, up there is all the disciples. And think about this. Jesus is saying, hey, you guys are amazing. You guys are going to do greater things than I've ever done. But you guys are going to be going through some hard times. Think about this. Peter followed Jesus, right? So in following Jesus, we would think that he's super set up. He's sipping Mai Tais in uh, Maui. This, this is how it goes. I'm following Jesus. That's that's. That's how it's going to end up. No, Peter says it's an honor to be crucified upside down with my wife. But the American dream is I have this thing over here. I have that thing over here. This is how it's going to be. That, that, that's, that, that's not how the gospel went with me. John was boiled in oil. Matthew was speared to the ground. And the moment we start thinking, it's like, God, you know, you can't ask too much of me. This is breaking me. You know, I, I asked you to use me and I feel used. Yeah. Yeah. I regret that prayer a lot. Because he's going to use every drop. Well, this is, this is pressure. This is hard. Yeah. Jesus said that you have to pick up your own cross. And sometimes the sufferings in life are necessary. The sufferings of, oh, you know, I just got to, you know, Pastor Joel's asked me to serve. He's asked me to do this and that. Da, da. No, God's asking you to do it. And there are things in life you're going to have to suffer for. And there are things in life he's breaking you to bless you. He's breaking you because somebody he knows that he has to get a revelation in your heart. So he breaks you to give you the revelation so that you can minister to others in that area of your life. You went through the loss. He broke you so that you can bless somebody else that's been through a loss because he knows that you're going to lean on him. He knows that he can bring you to the table. He knows that, that you can just say, God, I don't know why it happened. I don't know what's going on. You're talking to him at a table and you understand in the midst of great tragedy, in the midst of great disappointment, you come off your road and you understand the blessing in the breaking and just say, you know what? I'm looking back on this season of my life and I realize it had to happen. 
Because if it didn't happen, I wouldn't be able to speak with such authority in this area. And so God is not mad at you. He's breaking you to bless you, to give you to this great city. That's what he's doing. Oh, I don't see the plan in it. I don't see. And too many people go to their grave with question marks instead of exclamation points. Because they don't think that suffering or carrying your own cross, like, a oh, this cross is horrible. Oh, I'm getting splinters. Oh, this is heavy. Oh, the weight is so heavy. Uh, uh. Yeah. He's breaking you. He's not killing you. He's blessing you. The greatest blessings come out of the hardest breaking. If he's breaking you, it's a sign God is on your case. It didn't increase till it got broken. I believe this is a prophetic word. The very thing you are cursing is the very thing God will use to bless you. And the blessing passes through his hands, but not from his hands. The blessings do not come from your hands. They come from Jesus's hands. And so he kept on breaking what was needed. And God doesn't give you just enough. El Shaddai means more than enough. My blessing is not limited. He's not limited to the size of your container. And so when he gives you, he gives you an anointing to do an amazing thing within a city. And I believe every person under the sound of my voice, there's great works that God has for each and every one of you to do. You know, my wife and I, we, um, we got our degrees in film and I never thought that I would be in ministry, ever, 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 never, ever. And of course, God brought us to be in ministry. We did a lot of um, massive youth, um, and I'm closing, massive youth, um, what do you call those? Conferences. And we went to, um, I remember Tennessee Volunteer Arena, I'd never seen anything like this before because church to me was always like this dingy basement with flickering lights. And I just, that's what church was to me. And I remember showing up and there were 30,000 young people in Tennessee Volunteer Arena. And we go up on stage and we're just doing crazy stuff for young people. We're driving Hummers on stage. We're, I mean, it's, it's nuts. I mean, there's WWF pro wrestlers coming up and they're like, taking the pastor, slamming it on the ground, and then giving their testimony about Jesus. I'm like, what is this? You know, I'm like, this is real. Um, and I'll never forget, the pastor gave the altar call, and we're all on the stage, we're worshiping. And he asked the students to come forward. Think about this sea of people. And these students are throwing down bags of weed. These students are throwing down condoms. They're, they're throwing down uh, syringes. I mean, it's insane. I'm like, these are kids at a youth conference. And God's breaking strongholds off their life. And I just remember looking at these young people and saying, I, I literally don't know what's more important than this. I, 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 don't, I can't do anything else. I literally, God, you've, I can't do anything else. And so God called us 
We were in downtown New York City. I was working at Independent Film Channel. I was writing Broadway music. That's another story. And Kate was going to come with me. We were going to be a bunch of beatniks in New York. And I get a call from my pastor in Florence, Kentucky. I'm like, what's what? Florence, Kentucky? What? No. No. I'm in New York. No. And we come and it's this hurt church and uh, leadership was all over the place. The pastor that left was gone for two years and the people were so hurt. I didn't even understand that because I didn't grow up in church subculture. So I'm like, how are these church people mean? Right. Whoa, I learned a little bit. And, and I'm like, and so we, we build it and we take over the youth ministry. And we build the, the, the youth ministry to uh, 700 students every Wednesday. We build a college out of it and we just scrape, man. We're, we're, we're scrapers, we're scrappers. And, and we just went after every person. We just, I found as many people on their road and I said, you need to come to the table. You need to get to the table. I don't care what you have to say. I'll buy you a Starbucks. I'll get you a Sonic hot dog. I don't care. You're coming to the table. You're gonna get to the table. We're gonna get you plugged in because I know that if I get people to the table, I knew that God would bless them, break them and give them. He would bless them, break them, and give them. And so he just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. And we hired, uh, our whole staff was about 60% of all the young people that were in our college program. We hired them, and I was walking around like, you know, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. Y'all are got it covered, which was God telling me he was about to give me. And when we... Um, I was 33 years old. I'm 38 now. I was 33, and my pastor made a joke. He said, that's the year that Jesus died. And he clapped me on the back. I was like, thanks. <laughs> and uh, God gave us a prophetic dream, my wife and I, that we were going to have three kids, and that we, the, it was going to be two boys and a little girl. And so we had our first child, Miles, and we were like, oh, cool. We didn't think anything of it. Then we had Judah, which was two boys. And, and then finally we got pregnant, uh, and we we're like, okay, let's just see if this prophetic dream is true. My wife, Kate, she has prophetic dreams. And, um, and so we're in there, and they're doing the ultrasound. And uh, it's taken a while, but, but they said, do you guys want to know? And we're like, yeah, let's know. And they said, it's a girl. And I jump up. I'm crying. And... Um, takes forever, and the ultrasound tech leaves and comes in the room, and the, the, the um, doctor hands us a tissue box, which is never good, and they said, hey, your dream girl, there's something on her face, and we were like, oh, huh, okay. We don't know what it is. We think it's a tumor. We don't know, but we're going to refer you to uh, um, high-risk pregnancy, Good Sam, which is downtown Cincinnati. So we went, and the doctors told us that our dream girl, our prophetic blessing from God, had a tumor growing on the inside of her mouth, and the doctor said it would grow to be about as big as her, and it would just keep growing, and it would push her mouth open to the point where it would be hyperextended to a 90-degree angle. This is my blessing. 
Kate went into um, uh, labor early because the baby is supposed to be able to swallow amniotic fluid. And normally a regular pregnancy, there's one liter of amniotic fluid and Kate had five liters because Georgia couldn't swallow. And so finally the doctor said, we're going back and forth. I'm like, okay, okay. Um, can we just do an amnio reduction where they just put a big old needle in and they just get all the fluid out? And it's like, just do that. And they're like, well, she can go into labor. And if she goes into labor, Georgia's going to die and we can't do that. But the, but the fluid, I asked the doctors, the fluid can't keep building up, right? They said, right. Or she could go into labor. He said, yes. I said, should we do an amnio reduction? He said, well, she could go into labor. Tell me what to do every day. So every day I'm waiting for my phone. I'm literally, she's in the hospital. I'm single dad on the move with my boys. And I'm waiting for my phone to just light up. I'm waiting to hear her crying, saying we lost her. I'm waiting for her to cry, saying I'm going into labor. I'm waiting for her to do that. And finally, the doctor said, we're going to we're going to go ahead and do this. If your wife dies, if your wife starts to die or Georgia starts to die, we're going to save Kate first because you have two boys at home. That was tough. That was tough. And so in the morning we came and I'll never forget, you know, I'm waiting. And then the doctors say, we're, we need to talk to you. We're going to bring you back to your wife. And I'll never forget. I saw Kate first and she put her hands on my face and she's like, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm like, I wish that we were exempt from being broken. I prayed for that tumor to go away, and it never did. And so then Kate couldn't go and see Georgia, and that's the first time I saw the dream. Look at that. Does that look like a dream? And... uh Two years, she had a trach, nurses in our house. Every, I had a whole hospital in my house. Uh, we, she had to be life flighted uh, once on July 4th. Amen. Fun. I remember one time she, her O2 was going down so much because her lungs couldn't form. So she was just really susceptible. And I was like in the rain and it's so cold up there. And I remember carrying her, she's gasping for air. I'm trying to get her into the ambulance and my foot slips on the ambulance step and my knee just hits that ambulance step. And I'm like, this is the definition of how broken I was. But we, I remember Pastor Kate and I, we just kept encouraging each other and just saying, you know, God has a plan. You know, God, you love her more than I ever could. And after two years, I think you have the next picture. God released her from having a trach. She had her trach pulled out. The doctor said she would never eat again. And yesterday she's at Pastor uh, Joel and Jen's house. And this is her with, there she is, there's Georgie. And this is her with the pugs. <laughs> to me. The moment that she got her G-tube taken out and she was released from oncology, one month later, God said, you're going to Texas. God, why did you invite me to the table to bless me with this thing? 
just to break me. Because he knew that I couldn't handle that next level of leadership without going through the breaking so that he could give me. I was 33 years old. I didn't understand a lot of things. But now our story, I'm telling you, it's an endless well of anointing. That whenever I'm at my lowest place, all I have to do is revisit that ambulance step and just say, God, I thank you. I thank you for blessing me but breaking me. God, you took me on the road I was on. You take people on the road you're on and maybe you're here this morning and you're on a disappointing road. I'm here to tell you that he's come today to invite you to the table to bless you. I know it doesn't look like a blessing, but I'm telling you, he's blessing you. Well, I don't like being broken. He's breaking you for a purpose and he's breaking you because God doesn't get a hold of you to get a hold of you. He gets a hold of you to get a hold of someone else. And so there's somebody in McKinney that needs your story. There's somebody in your workplace that needs you to step up and bring them to the table. And I'm saying you only have so much life left. You only have so much life left. And every empty seat in this room is a soul. Every empty seat is, is, a, is a mom, is a dad, is a son, is a daughter. And if you would just step out of your seat and just say, you know what? I don't care who I am at the workplace. I don't care who I'm supposed to be. I don't care how I'm supposed to play nice. You know what? I only have so much time and God has blessed me. He's broken me to give me to this city. And I'm going to step up and say, yes, that's the genius of Jesus. That's what he does in my life. And that's what he's going to do in the lives of people in my family, in my business, and in my city. Amen. So every eye closed, every head bowed. Maybe you're here today, you're on a disappointing road. I don't know what's happened. I don't know who you've lost. I don't know what's going on and I don't have to know. All I have to do is just invite you to the table and the Bible says that their eyes were open. And we're just praying that your eyes, your spiritual eyes will be open. And maybe you came in here, you don't know where you're at with Jesus. You don't know. Maybe you, you don't know if you leave here today and you get hit by a car, my question is, are you going to spend your first night in hell, your first morning in heaven? If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, right now is your opportunity. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised an hour after this service. And God brought you here to this table to let you know he's not mad at you. He loves you that the breaking had to happen and it had to happen because someone else needs you and your story. If you're here today and you say, that's me, pastor, that's me. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna humiliate you. I just believe that God has a great, great purpose for you. If that's you and you say, that's me, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three, quickly. Just raise up your hand quickly, quickly, quickly. Yes, right here, right here. Anyone else, you say, that's me. You say, that's me. You wanna keep your hand up? My friend has just a 
little gift he wants to give you, just raise up your hand one more time, one more time. Right there, thank you. We're gonna pray this prayer all over this room. Come on, church, let's pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin and for my shame. I believe you rose again from the dead, defeated death, hell, and the grave for me. I ask that you wash me, cleanse me, give me a brand new beginning and a brand new start. In the mighty name of Jesus. We all said a big amen. Come on, can we give Jesus a big hand clap? Thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you, Pastor Joel. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.